This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bible uh, to Romans chapter 7 this morning. Uh, we are going to look at a whole chapter uh, this morning in Romans. If you're new here, we're walking through Romans, just kind of chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And um, uh, today we're going to look at a whole chapter, really because chapter 7 kind of reads that way. It kind of fits together thematically uh, that way. Next Sunday we will begin the great Eight, the eighth chapter of Romans. Next Sunday, I think I'll get through one verse, <laughs> Romans 8.1. Uh, but today we're going to look at a, at a whole chapter together, the new way versus the, the old way. And we're going to cover the whole chapter this morning, but I want us, as we stand for the reading of God's Word, stand with me in honor of the author of God's Word. We're going we're gonna to read verses 1 through 6, but then... As always, keep your Bibles open. The screen is not a substitute for the Bible in your hand um, because we're going to be looking at many more verses besides these six. But let's read these first six as we get going this morning. Paul says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. And Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you that we don't have to try to do life on our own, but that we do it in relationship with you and that we do it with your empowering presence, spirit of the living God. And so, Father, we pray that, that the Holy Spirit would fall fresh on us right now as we get into this, this amazing chapter. Lord, we, we pray for your Holy Spirit right now to move and work. Open the eyes of our hearts to behold wonderful things in your word this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the wildest success stories in the history of TV has got to be the, the home, home and garden television. What began in 1994 as the lowly 
home lawn and garden channel has now morphed into HGTV, which is daily streamed into 100 million American homes, and which has made very unlikely TV stars of couples like Chip and Joanna Gaines and blockbuster hits for shows like Fixer Upper. When you think about our God, though, you know, God is not just kind of into fixing people up. God is into making them new. As you've heard me say before, Christianity is not about God uh, taking bad people and making them good. It's about God taking dead people and making them alive. And we see that in this incredible chapter. The, the first thing that we see here is the new way of the Spirit. So in verses 1 through 6, which we just read, we're going to see three things. We see a principle, and then we see an illustration, and then we're going to see an application. First of all, in verse 1, we see a principle. Look at verse 1. He says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person <clears throat> only as long as he lives? So Paul here is talking about the, the Jewish law, Old Testament law, of course, but the principle that he's enunciating is a common sense principle that would apply really to, to any law. Upon death, you know, you're no longer under the law. If you have a heavy foot, uh, you're not going to have to worry about uh, traffic tickets uh, after you die. If you die without a savior, there'll be a lot more significant things that you will be worried about, but you will be free from the law upon death. That's the principle that Paul enunciates in verse 1. And then in verses 2 and 3, he illustrates that principle. Look at verses 2 and 3. For he says, a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive, but if her husband dies, she's free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So again, it's a common sense principle, common sense illustration. Let's say that a husband has been infirm. He has been ill for a number of years, and that wife is a very faithful caregiver, and she is faithful to her vows to love and to cherish in sickness and in health. But then her husband dies. Well, obviously, at that point, she is, is free to, to marry another. Now, common sense principle, common sense illustration, and now... In verse 4, Paul gives us an application, and now we're going to go into much deeper waters. What does he say here in verse 4? Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. So because Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross and and was buried and rose from the dead. And because we have been united with him in his death and in his resurrection as believers, we have died to the old way of trying to earn acceptance with God through religion. And now in the gospel, we have entered into a relationship with God where we love him and seek to obey him from our hearts. Now, it's interesting that Paul compares our relationship with Jesus to, to, to marriage, 
So what does that tell us about our, our relationship with the Lord? It tells us, first of all, that Christianity is about love and not rules. Christianity is about love and not rules. You know, Melissa and I have an anniversary coming up later on this month. And uh, let's suppose that on our anniversary that I go get some flowers uh, for Melissa um, and I, I, I come in uh, that afternoon and I've got these beautiful flowers uh, for her and, and uh, she just says, oh, honey, you know, uh, thank you, thank you so much. And I just uh, say, hey, don't mention it. It's our anniversary. It's my duty. <laughs> Might not be much of a happy anniversary, right? Might be a... Sad anniversary, mad anniversary. Um, yeah, because those flowers are to be an overflow of love. An overflow of the love relationship that I have with my wife. And so Paul uses marriage here to, 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 to illustrate our relationship with Jesus because it's based on love. Christianity is about love and not rules. And so um, our obedience to the Lord now flows from love. And why do we love him? 1 John 4, 19 says we love because he first loved us. We have experienced his love in the gospel. And the result of that is that we, we love him back and we want to obey him from our hearts but not because we're trying to earn acceptance with God anymore through the law, but, but because uh, we've been freed from that. We, we obey him freely from our hearts out of love. And we love him because he first loved us. So Christianity is about love and not rules. And the fact that he uses marriage to illustrate this relationship also says something about the church as the bride of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul talks, uses that analogy that the, that the church is Christ's bride. I love what New Testament scholar Michael Bird says about this. We are freed from the old husband and wedded to the Messiah, and the riches of the bridegroom have been given to us as his bride to adorn her with love and grace and righteousness. Now, let's check out what he says here in verse 5. He says, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful pa passions aroused by the law were at work <clears throat> in our members to bear fruit for death. And so before we came to know Jesus, God's, we saw God's law and God's law gave us a knowledge of sin but we did not have the desire or the power to obey. In fact, in fact, it's almost like our sinful nature was, was like awakened by the law. Now, the problem was not the law. <laughs> the problem was us. The problem was our sin nature. And that's what he talks about in verses 7 through 13. So let's look, look in your Bibles beginning in verse 7. Paul says, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, 
seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through, that, through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. In other words, the problem was not God's law. God's law was doing its job. And what's the job of the law? We saw it back in chapter 3 and verse 20. The job of God's law is to give us knowledge of sin. But what it does not do is transform our hearts so that we have a desire to, to obey God. Now, what does, who, who does transform our hearts so that we have a desire to obey God? The Holy Spirit. But we don't have the Holy Spirit apart from Jesus. Let's look at the, the, the new way of the Spirit. Uh, verse, verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. In other words, the Spirit changes our want-tos. It changes our affections. The Spirit gives us a desire to obey God and the power to obey God. Now, verse 6 is like a preview of what we're going to see in chapter 8. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. Think about verse 6, 7, 6. And, and there you have sort of a, an embryonic form what we're going to be walking through in the first 17 verses of chapter 8. Now, Paul could have seamlessly moved from 7-6 to 8-1. I mean, it just would have flowed naturally. But he doesn't do that. And there's a reason for that. Because before he gets to the glories of life and the Spirit which we're going to see in chapter 8, the new way of the Spirit, he wants to remind us what it was like without the Spirit. And so that's the second thing that we see here, the old way of the law. Um, before he talks about life in the Spirit in chapter 8, um, he's going to talk about what life was like without the Spirit. Now, we saw in verses 7 through 13, it's very clear there he's talking about the purpose of the law. But then beginning in verse 14, uh, Paul kind of launches into this mysterious uh, section here. And, and he's speaking in the first person present, but he's saying things that you, we would not expect Paul to say about the life of a Christian. So let's look at verses um, 14 through 23. What do we see here? Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. 
for I do not understand my own actions. <laughs> for what I do, for I do not do what I want, <laughs> but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, <clears throat> I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. <laughs> now, if I do what I do not want, <clears throat> it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul, what are you talking about here in this section, okay? This is, this is a section that gives Bible scholars uh, fits, okay? So let me give you kind of the main options, and I'll tell you uh, what I believe and, and, and why I, I believe it. Um, one option is that, that Paul here in verses 14 and following is describing his present Christian life um, and the struggles uh, of a, a believer with, with indwelling sin. And, and listen, whether that's what Paul is talking about or not, okay, whether he's describing you know, his own present condition um, or, or not, listen, any of us can relate to a lot of the things that he's saying here. Can we not? I mean, can, can you as, as a Christian, okay, as a, as a conscientious Christian who's trying to walk with, with God, which one of us cannot relate to, 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 to the, the struggle with sin and to, at times, you know, we know what it's like, don't we, to just, like, we'll, we'll say something, for instance, to somebody... <laughs> and something sinful, you know, and, and, and we're like, where did that come from? <laughs> you know, I hate it when other people talk like that, and I just did it, right? Can, we can all relate to that, okay? And so whether Paul is talking about his own current experience as a believer or not, you know, all of us can relate to the struggle with sin, that we, that we sometimes have as, as believers. Um, now, I don't think Paul is actually describing his, his current life as a believer in these verses. Um, I think some of the language here, uh, like in verse 14, you know, when he talks about the, the fact that he says, I, I'm sold, I am of the flesh and sold under sin, it seems to go directly against much of what he said in chapter 6, when he talked about the fact that in Christ we are free from sin. You know, when he, when he says in verse 18, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Again, that seems to conflict with everything that he's been saying and that we do have the power 
the power of the Holy Spirit, that we, that we are, are, are not under the dominion of sin anymore, um, and that we, do, we are empowered to, to live for, uh, for God. So many scholars, including some scholars that I really respect, would, would take the position still that he's talking about his current struggles as believer, but I think probably something else is going on here, and it's this. I believe that Paul, in beginning in verse 14, is beginning to use a, a rhetorical device that was very common in the first century called a speech in character. A speech in character. So what that is, is when the, a writer or a speaker would sort of uh, take on the voice of another character. You notice here in verse 14 that he, the tense is shift, and he suddenly begins to kind of like speak in the first person present. It's like the su- sort of a sudden change in tenses there. I believe that probably what's happening is that Paul, Paul is beginning to use sort of this um, sort of this, this rhetorical device, and he's, he's speaking, speaking the words, speaking in the voice of another character. We've kind of seen a few times already in Romans where he'll sort of like um, take on another uh, voice just to sort of make a point, like, you know, uh, what, sh- what then, shall we sin so the grace may abound? Like, he's speaking in the voice of, 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 of his critics, actually, in, in that case. This is sort of similar, but a little different, okay? It's, uh, it's sort of like a speech in character is when the writer or speaker just kinda, kind of adopts the voice and speaks the, the character of someone else. Now, what character is he speaking about? I think that in verses 14 through 23, Paul here is sort of entering into the agony of someone who is trying to follow God without the Holy Spirit. Did Paul know anybody like that? (laughs) He knew somebody like that really well, right? That was his life before Christ trying to follow God without the power of of the Holy Spirit, and I think he's, he's entering into the agony of such a person's experience. And, and, he, and, and then he gets to verse 24, and, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he just, he, it's, he cries out, like this character cries out from the depths of his soul, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then in verse 25, the tenses change again. And Paul is, is expressing the joy in the hearts, in his own heart, and the heart of every believer when he says in verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Dr. Craig Lloyd is a pastor in Brisbane, Australia. And he shares this in his testimony. Dr. Lloyd says, Romans 7 has a place of prominence in my heart for the role it played in my coming to a conviction of sin. 
I was in the fifth year of my medical degree and living a life totally oblivious to the gospel and the affront my sin was before the Lord. Yet in his grace, he chose to place two Christians in my life at that time. Now just think about this and the way that God works. Do you have people in your life? Family members, friends, co-workers, neighbors, totally oblivious to the things of the Lord and yet God has put you in their life. Friend, he's put you in their life for a purpose. He wants to use you. He wants to use you the way that he used these friends that Dr. Lloyd is about to talk about. It says, in his grace, he chose to place two Christians in my life at that time. They faithfully shared with me and challenged me for months. They explained the gospel to me in very clear terms, and yet I still found their words to be foolishness and unworthy of serious thought. Have you tried to share your faith with someone and you felt like they just blew you off? Listen, you never know what the Holy Spirit is going to do with the seeds of the gospel that you have put in someone's life. Listen to what happens. It was at this time that I found myself alone one night. It was during the university vacation and no one was still around. Basically, I was bored. To this day, I do not know what caused me to do what I did, but I pulled down the Bible my friends had given me from my shelf. It had sat there unopened since the day they gave it to me. I opened it at random. It opened to Romans 1, and I began to read, and I found myself fascinated by the argument Paul was making, but was not personally affected until I reached Romans 7. In particular, verses 21 through 25, the Spirit of God convicted me deeply. I was pierced to my soul. I understood sin. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I was lost before a holy God. I knew I was a wretched man needing to be delivered. And only Jesus Christ could do it. Let's pray. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us deserve God's just condemnation for our sins. But as we're going to see next week, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's because we have a Savior who took the condemnation that we deserve on our behalf, on the cross. Friend, this morning, that's the love of Jesus. He loves you. He died for you. He is the risen King. Turn to him today. There's forgiveness of sins and life eternal. Turn to the Savior right now. Say, Lord, I, I turn to you. I turn from trying to do life apart from you. And I turn from sin and self. And I, I turn to you, Lord Jesus. And I believe that you died for my sins, that you rose from the dead. And right now, I welcome you into my life as my Savior and my King. 
Oh, friend, make that the prayer of your heart today. If that is your prayer, we, we want to talk with you. We want to come alongside you. Myself and our other, other pastors, we're going to be here during this time of invitation. We'll be here after the service today. We would love to come alongside you. Maybe you're here today and God's speaking to you about making this church family your home. And if that's the case, we want to welcome you and we want to celebrate with you. And so in a moment, as others stand and sing, we want to ask you to step out and to come forward. And we want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So Father, this time of invitation is yours. Our lives are yours. Lord, work in our hearts and lives right now for the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.